This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, powering through some post-cold-slash-flu fatigue co-host, Andrew Friggin' D. Bailey. Um, Before we get started with this mailbag that was supposed to be done before Christmas in time to make Christmas Day picks, but the two of us had so much shit going on we couldn't get to it, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead with everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Uh, Christmas is over, but if you were looking to get us a gift, we appreciate subscriptions, ratings, reviews, recommendations to friends, family, enemies, frenemies, randos on the street. You can steal phones and subscribe and rate our podcast for them because, believe it or not, unequivocally, they will thank you later. But please continue to do that. Take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day. Search Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Throw us that five-star review. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, of course, you can leave us a written review as well. And we can always be found wherever else you consume your podcast content. With that out of the way, we have to ask the first question of today's mailbag, which is, Andy, how are you feeling? All right. Um, that didn't the, sound convincing enough. Try again. <laughs> the Dan Valley intro always helps. Um, I hope the listeners can bear with my uh, scratchy voice today. I'm not feeling too bad. It's just sort of, I don't know, lingering after effects of the cold, apparently. Honestly, I think this is going to be like a friend's Phoebe Buffay situation where, you know, how she was sick and then all of a sudden she could sing really well. <laughs> I feel like all of a sudden your your voice is now just made for podcast and listening. <laughs> Perfect. Or it's like the MJ flu game. I'm going to I'm going to say it's both. You mean I'm the combined. MJ drank too much the night before game? <laughs> exactly. Um, But you sent out a, a mailbag tweet and we got a ton of great responses as usual these are your this is your wheelhouse i'm going to let you direct us i'm excited to get to some of these questions that uh a lot of them were great some of them were we're going to skip over them because obviously but most of them were great all right i'm going to start with one um from broncos reddit at broncos underscore reddit barkley has Jokic as mvp front runner where would you have him right now um he's probably tailed off since that question was sent a week ago. Um, tailed off is probably the wrong word. I think he had a little bit stronger MVP case a week ago than he does today. Um, basketball references MVP tracker has him at ninth right now. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo is first in that, and I think that's probably who my MVP frontrunner would be. Um, here's the thing about Jokic. 
Last night, he had 10 assists and five points, I think. He shot like one of five from the field or something like that. Um, I just finished writing a column, too, where it said it looked like his days of those like two for seven, one of five nights were over. And then there he goes against the Spurs. And it's like those will come out of nowhere where he just he seems completely disinterested in scoring. Um, It's almost like he wants to prove a point that he can they can still win when he's just passing everything. Um, it's, and sometimes he can have a pretty significant positive effect on a game when he plays like that. Um, his passing is probably his best, uh, tool or trade or skill, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I, I think for him to truly get to that, like MVP contender level, he's going to have to find some kind of killer instinct that, that has him in, you know, 25 point. 12 rebound, eight assist mode every night. As crazy as that sounds, um, I do think he's capable of it. It just still seems to be a slight mental hurdle for him. He's he's not my front runner. I, I would still say he's probably in my top five of MVP candidates. Um, certainly Giannis is up there. I think Kawhi should be up there. Paul George has quietly, and then maybe not so quietly, had a pretty strong MVP case. Anthony Davis was up there, but they're all of a sudden 15 and 20, so I'm not so sure about him anymore. James Harden is really charging over the last few weeks. Um, that this this MVP race is wide open, but I do think Jokic would probably be in that like four to five range for me. Yeah, he probably might be just outside the top five for me. I've been higher on George's MVP case than most, and I'll, I'll acknowledge like there can't be nights just as a. If you want to be that MVP candidate, I know the Nuggets are are banged up, and that that's going to help his case. If they if they hold ground in the Western Conference playoff race, and they're still second in the West, and if they hold ground while they're dealing with injuries to Paul Millsap and Gary Harris is banged up and Will Barton's banged up, uh, Isaiah Thomas hasn't played this year, and so on and so forth, that's going to help his case a bunch. And like you said, with the Anthony Davis stuff, will the Pelicans be good enough to get him love? I think you can ask the same question. Um, of the Rockets just a little bit because yes, they're surging now. And if they get back into the, and it's possible, they are three and a half games out of second place in the West, four games out of first, if you want to say that, but I'm just penciling the Warriors in there, even though they've been sucking it up. Um, uh, Jokic, the Nuggets look like they're going to be good enough for him to win it, but he was 0 of 1 in the second half in that Spurs game last night. Zero shots in the fourth quarter, uh, only played about five minutes. That's still just, you can't have that because he is a valuable scorer. Uh, there's just, he, he stretches the floor because he can shoot the three ball. Um, he's, uh, he's magnificent in the post, just the combination of his vision and his touch around the basket. You want him taking, it's not in some guy's DNA. I get you're never going to get him to consistently take, you know, in an ideal world, let's go back to that game against Dallas on December 18th. He takes 25 shots. You probably want him ideally in like that 19, 20, 21, 22 or more shot range because he is a good scorer, but that's just not in his DNA. Uh, but I, I kind of agree with everything you just said there. Here's what's interesting, though, when you look at uh, Basketball Reference's MVP tracker. So they have him ninth, like you said. Yeah. Of the eight in, f- in front of him, is there anyone, and I'm assuming there is, or who would you put him in front of, of the eight that are in front of him? And, and maybe we should go through these one by one. I think both of us have Giannis at number one. That's a that's a good way to put it. That makes it a little harder for me to squeeze him into my top five. Um, Kevin Durant is number two. What would you would you put Jokic in front of him? I'm not saying this makes Jokic number two. These are just all the names that are in front of uh, 
Jokic on uh, Basketball Reference's MVP track. I don't. Man, that's tough. I would. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna stand up and say right now, I'd put him in front of Kevin Durant. I was gonna say that too, but it, my my reasoning was I just don't see any way Durant gets MVP, which is more of a who will win as opposed to who should win. Um, yeah. So I guess for your own personal ladder, because the who will win, it kind of seems like it's gonna come down to a Giannis, James Harden, Anthony Davis, yeah. LeBron situation. I think. I think I'd have him in front of uh, Durant. To have the hits at one for for as long as he has with so many injuries, um, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, third, uh, for again for basketball reference, not for us specifically, Kawhi Leonard. I think I'd probably have him ahead of Kawhi too. Um, I don't think I don't think Kawhi has missed a ton of games, and I'm not really docking him for that. But he has sat some games for rest, and I think Kyle Lowry has been super important to the Raptors. Um, points per game diehards are going to disagree, but I'm <laughs> but Leonard has been ridiculous for sure. Would you have him? That's number three. James Harden is number four. Would you still have him in front of James Harden at this point? I think I I think I do for now. If James Harden keeps doing what he's doing and the Rockets keep winning for another week or two, that's probably going to get flipped. I have to put James Harden in front of him uh, right now. I think maybe I'm reading too much into the Rockets surge, but. I know Chris Paul's been injured, but he wasn't fantastic before his hamstring issue, and maybe he's been dealing with it all season. Uh, the whole point of having him was to decrease Harden's workload, and now James Harden is posting the highest usage rate of his career in year two of his partnership with Chris Paul. Um, and not only, okay, not like it's just not only is it the highest usage rate of his career, but it is. The last time I checked, one of the six highest usage rates in NBA history, and it still is, 37.7. So it's higher than last season when he won MVP, and it means it's it's higher than the 2016-2017 campaign where he could have won him, and he was just absolutely ridiculous, and it was basically, it seemed like it was a, a one-guy show in, in Houston. So uh, it, it's I would, st- I would have Harden, and maybe I'm just thinking that the Rockets are still going to stay on a a semi-high trajectory. Maybe that's why I have him from him, but I think I give Harden the edge right now. And I, you, it's, he has a very strong argument. There's not a lot of, I can say to discount that. Here's an interesting one. Anthony Davis. I, so this one, this one is interesting. <laughs> um, Would I lie to you? <laughs> no, Anthony Davis, my, when I do my little average rankings thing for the last, four or five weeks has been a comfortable number one. Um, I stole that uh, methodology when I wouldn't say borrowed, but you, or I, I use you as an inspiration, my muse when I was writing about him for all-star predictions. Perfect. His, his catch-all rankings are just absurd. He's yeah. He's been ridiculous. Um, but 15 and 20, um, you know, people say we kind of changed the, the, uh, MVP conversation a little bit when Russell Westbrook won it, but that was still a five seed in the West, weren't they? Um, yes. I know they were at least in the playoffs. Five games under 500 and, and comfortably out of the playoffs, I don't think we're ever going to jump to that point, um, and I'm probably not either. And it's not totally Anthony Davis's fault, obviously, that they are where they are. Um, I, it, this is one area where I might still be a little bit old school and thinking that <laughs> – you should probably at least have a winning record. I, I, if we're going with who is going to win, I just totally agree with you. I don't think 
if they end up in the lottery or if they end up with the seven or eight seed in the West, I don't think that's going to be enough to do it for him. Uh, the Pelicans with Anthony Davis on the floor this season, they are plus, uh, what are they? Plus 4.5 points per 100 possessions. And then without him, they are minus 7.2 points per 100 possessions. And I think a lot of, uh, some of the lineups with him on the court now are struggling. They're still a little bit banged up. But one of the things that's going to kill his case is to me, the time just when he's not on the floor. And that's not something we should be looking at per se when deciding his case. If anything, that should build up his case at the same time when you're talking about wins and losses factoring in, that's going to be a big deal. And the thing I use as a barometer, and this isn't for the entire team, but Drew Holiday is clearly the Pelicans second best player. Uh, If I was to pick who should make an all-star team, I'd probably put him as a backcourt reserve or wildcard, whatever you want to call it. I don't think he's going to get that recognition, but I could see him deserving it. Except when the Pelicans play with Drew Holiday on the court and no Anthony Davis, they're getting outscored by 7.8 points per 100 possessions with a defensive rating over 120. And it's not an insubstantial sample size, 724 possessions, all per cleaning the glass. The Pelicans are just shallow, and Davis is, it's, it's almost a, isn't it kind of just like a microcosm of his entire situation in New Orleans that it's the shallowness of the team that probably costs him the MVP award. And we've just been talking about how shallow or how much he needs a co-star, just more depth around him for, for how many years this, this way predates the, the DeMarcus Cousins trade. So I think that's something that unless the Pel, if the Pelicans get back into the playoff picture, maybe he can just come in and win with a seven or eight seed just because of how close all the teams are in the West. But I do think, as you said before, that the team's record is ultimately going to kibosh his case. Who's next? Um, after Anthony Davis, there is LeBron James. <laughs> it's, it's so every one of these names is tough for me, actually. Um, man, I think I'd probably still take Jokic. Man, I'm going to feel like you and probably hedge on this one. I honestly don't know between him and LeBron. I I want to say Jokic. Uh, I guess that could just change, though, depending on if LeBron misses time with this groin injury. He's not playing in Sacramento on Thursday, but and the Lakers just start getting hammered if he misses a couple games. Maybe that will buttress his case a little bit. I might call it a tie between them. I don't know that I can choose right now. Forced to choose, I I, I, I might go Jokic. I like it. Paul George is next. This one's tough too. I'd pick Paul George and I'm not even second guessing it. <laughs> he's just yeah. been absurd this season. Yeah, this I mean, season. and he's uh Man, that's a toss up for me. I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to leave it at that. That's a tough one for me. And the final one, Joel Embiid. Um He's another one I think I'll take Jokic over for now just because I I think Philadelphia's they have a lot their success has a lot to do with Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, I'm with you. Uh I pick Jokic as well and this is maybe we're wrong for doing this but there's going to be at least on my part I'm going to gravitate towards stars who are I don't want to say closer to doing it on their own but don't have someone to necessarily not just offset the votes, but to offset their absence off the court. You know, if the Pelicans won 47 games, that's more impressive to me 
than the Warriors winning 63 or 64. And that's like kind of, again, maybe that's unfair. Um, but that that's sometimes just how I look at it. I mean, you look at Denver's number two in the West. Not only are they dealing with injuries, but Jokic is their only bona fide star. And it's the same thing with Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee. They're on pace to win almost 70% of their games. And yes, they have Eric Bledsoe. Chris Middleton could potentially be an all-star in the East this year, though December has been a gut punch for his his shooting numbers. Yeah, struggling. But it's he is their only star, and yet they're an elite team and one of the foremost Eastern Conference contenders. And and that that matters to me. It's not Joel Embiid's fault that he has marquee names around him. At the same time, I I do think a symptom of that is they're going to cannibalize each other's votes, or if the other two aren't in the conversation, it's going to make Joel Embiid's case just look a little weaker than some of his peers. Yeah. I'm going to put a little uh, bow on the Jokic discussion. Over the course of his career, when he takes 10 shots or fewer in a game, Denver's 56 and 70. When he takes 11 shots or more, they're 76 and 58. Wow. Uh, Close to inverse. So. Shoot the ball more, Nikola Jokic. Don't have these games where you just kind of disappear as a scorer. Um, okay, let's move on to I, – I combined a couple questions here because they're a similar discussion. Um, Adam Spinella, at Spinella14, uh, friend of the pod, of course. Austin Anderson, at Austin A801. Spinella asks, how do we get Kevin Love to Utah? And Austin asks, who do the Jazz need that will put them over the top? That's the most viable option out there. I'll let you start this one. There's If the Cavaliers are just looking for salary cap relief and some low-end assets for Kevin Love, and I don't think that they can expect more in a pretend, potential Kevin Love trade, which, for the record, cannot take place until January 23rd um, because he has to be traded six months after he signed his extension. The Jazz have a ready-made package, and it, it aligns with Kevin Love's timeline. Derek Favors. His $16.9 million salary um, and a non-guarantee for next year cannot be traded until January 15th. And you can get to filler pretty easily. Um, you know, you have, uh, you can give up, would you be willing to give up their first round pick? Obviously, but you have Grayson Allen can be thrown in there. You have Tabo Cephalosha, who's expiring, Epke Udo. There's, there are just a lot of salary fills that you could throw in there. My thing is, if you told me it was going to cost favors, filler, and Utah's first round pick this year, with some sort of protection on it, I would do it if I'm the Jazz. If you're telling me that it's going to cost substantially more than that, I, I just I hedge because I don't know if a Gobert, Kevin Love front court puts you over the top. I do think Gobert is a perfect front court partner for someone like Kevin Love. I just with four years left on his deal, he's had some injury problems. We also don't know how he's going to perform this time coming back from injury. I would be reticent to give up anything resembling even a small ransom for him. I agree with all that. Um, a package like the one you laid out would be very, very tempting to pull the trigger on if you're Utah. Um, but the Gobert or Gobert is always good. Favors has been really good lately. And the Gobert favors pair um, has pulled its net rating up to 3.1. It, it's been pretty good lately it's 68th percentile um favors other role as backup center is not going as well uh they're they're minus 5.7 which is 25th percentile when he's on the floor without gobert i'm not sure it would be a whole lot better 
with Kevin Love, um, would he be able to lift up that bench unit more than Favors has? Uh, I don't know. I think there's still question marks with him, and, and you laid them out pretty well. It's, there's there's concerns about his health. Um, are you going to be getting pre-Cleveland Kevin Love, or are you going to be getting Cleveland Kevin Love, or are you going to get some version that we haven't seen yet? Um, it's it's not a no-risk situation. Uh, but this team still, they've, they've been a lot better recently, but there are still stretches when it seems like they're just so starved for offense. And I think he could help with that. Um, another guy that I'm still pretty interested in, and it would again, depend on what the other team wants to do, uh, is Otto Porter. If Washington, Who sucks. And they can, I mean, they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know they made the Trevor Ariza trade, which was a little bit different than I think what everybody was expecting. And maybe think you, you think, okay, now they're going to go for it, whatever. Um, it's still not working. They need to blow that <laughs> core up and try to start with something new. And like you said, Utah is one of those teams that has a bunch of stuff that um, teams that want cap space would need. I mean, Derek Favors is basically expiring. Cephalosha and Udo are expiring. Rubio is expiring. Um, you can create a lot of cap flexibility for other teams. And if that's their number one goal, then I think Otto Porter might be gettable for them too. And that's, to me, over the last year and a half, however long Jay Crowder's been there, they have been ridiculous when Jay Crowder is playing the four. And I think Porter is that same sort of versatility at the four, but a, just a slight upgrade in like, a, um, you know, who's the better one-on-one player. So Porter still makes a lot of sense to me. Love is very intriguing. Um but I would not – I mean, I would totally understand if they kept riding this sort of hot wave that they're on right now. Um, that's the ultimate <laughs> non-committal answer. But um, any of those three options make sense to me. Would you give up Derek Favors in an auto porter trade? Um, I think I probably would. I, I, again, I'm going to be non-committal here because <laughs> he has been pretty dang good lately. But – I do think the more of like a combo forward at four makes a little bit more sense than the traditional power forward next to Rudy Gobert. Um, and obviously Rudy Gobert is the guy who you're, you're prioritizing here because he's um, he, he's just a game changer of a player. So he, he's the guy you build around. He's the guy you find pieces to fit with. And I think those sort of three, four combo guys work really well next to him. It's funny because – Either Otto Porter or Kevin Love would definitely be interesting in Utah. For me, and maybe you could say this about most teams, it seems like they need another attacking guard or, or attacking swingman because Donovan Mitchell's shooting is becoming a problem. Oh, and I, I don't yeah. know. Looking at spacing, both Otto Porter and Kevin Love provide another safety valve, but I do think Utah needs that other from-scratch scorer. And Kevin Love really isn't that unless you're going to run your offense out of the post. Uh, just because he's not that face-up guy, and you're probably not going to do that unless it's with the second unit. And again, that's something you could explore. Otto Porter, I wrote something about him a couple of years ago where where I thought, just watching him, even though he doesn't dribble a ton, I thought there was just more to him on offense. And maybe you can get him to just initiate pick and rolls or just be more of an attacker. He's still not going to be the, the pseudo number two or even number three guy. And that's where 
it gets confusing for me to for Utah. I would probably still do either one just because I think something needs to be shaken up. And that favor has been playing fantastic at an individual level for love specifically. I do think there's a much better chance that he'd be able to survive the, uh, the bench that bench heavy units. I, I think he's definitely more likely to anchor uh, a good offense on his own than Derek favors would be. Yeah. And Otto Porter, I don't think you could throw him into that category, but like you said, the numbers with Jay Crowder at the four, even with when Tabo Cephalosha has played the four uh, last season, the numbers have been fairly crazy. So it's it's a risk I would take if I were, I, I were Utah. I just don't think either situation is a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the, the, the last thing I'll say on this discussion is um, – one of the reasons they structured all the contracts the way they did in Utah is to get cap space this summer. Um, but they had to have in the back of their mind somewhere that these would also be trade assets. Right. So I, I would not be surprised if they are mulling over some of these options. And they, I, I would hope they're also being realistic about free agency um, because it's always going to be an uphill battle for them to land a big name in free agency. And so – Maybe you take your swing in the trade market instead of um, just hoping that someone will come join your team this summer. And it's like, this isn't even a shot. When you look at basketball fit, even though they've struggled on offense this year, I think the Jazz are still up there on that list for free agency destinations. At the same time, who are they getting? Because they can get more than max cap space. That's not an issue. But Kevin Durant isn't going to go there. Kawhi Leonard isn't going to go there. Jimmy Butler isn't going to go there. Maybe Clay Thompson goes there. I mean, who knows at this point? But Chris Middleton isn't going to go there because I think he's going to get the boat from Milwaukee or at least a five-year deal from Milwaukee, and that's just something that Utah cannot compete with. Tobias Harris could loom there. There might be options, but there a lot of these players or the top names or these combo wings, combo forwards that would be best in Utah, they're probably going to go somewhere else or stay put. And that's why it might be worth taking a shot on the trade market. I agree. I think Harris is one that's maybe gettable, but I still, if I had to predict it right now, I'd say he's on the Clippers next year. And would you max him out, though, if that's what the market dictates? Um, would Utah, like if I'm the Jazz? Yeah. Probably. Wow. If the market dictates, and because there's there's no other way you're going to get a, a big, or like a semi-big name free agent in Utah. It, I that, mean, that's, he's, he's good. Tobias Harris is really good. Yeah, I agree. It's I wouldn't max him out, but I think you could say the same about Chris Middleton, but it, it is what it is what the market dictates. And I do think front offices are going to be a little bit more conservative with their spending than 2016 when we're talking about how many teams have cap space. That being said, Middleton to me, if he goes on the open market, I feel like we'll almost definitely get a four-year max. He's definitely going to get a three-year max uh, because teams can look at it as screwing over a contender in Milwaukee. Yeah. That's true. Uh, the Clippers with Tobias Harris, maybe teams will view that the same way, depending on, let's say the Clippers land one star, and th- then they want to keep Tobias Harris with that star. Other teams might try and swoop in and see if they could be offering to pay Tobias Harris. I don't know. I Just because I, I Middleton's better on defense, uh, I would probably be more likely to max him out than Tobias Harris. But again, if you're the Jazz and you have Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles, maybe you're more comfortable in doing that. I do have one last question on this. I know we're kind of hijacking this. Would you buy low on Tyreek Evans from Indiana if it was just Tabo Cephalosha and 
another filler piece. I'm just looking at the salaries really quick. Uh, Udo, if that if it was them, and then maybe you have to give up a second round pick or something, would you buy low on Tyreek Evans, who, with the exception of Wednesday night, has not been playing well for Indiana? Is he on a one year deal? Yes, he is. Twelve point four million. Oh man, um, that's mildly interesting. I think I think Udo is a really nice luxury to have. Um, if you're the Jazz, when one of those big guys gets in foul trouble, you still have a really good defensive anchor. Um, I I might rather throw in would Would it make sense to include Grayson Allen? Does he still have any intrigue anywhere? You think? I mean, if if I'm Indiana, I would take Grayson Allen just because it's a it is a first round pick. However much he hasn't really looked great in the NBA and and on the the rookie scale deal, that's actually cheap. Some of these rookie scale deals are not. Uh, you're probably yeah. looking at in the twenties. He's pretty low on salary. You would have to. It would have to be a situation though, like a, a three for one, unless they're going to take Rubio, which I don't know why they would. Uh, Tabo Cephalosha is a piece right there, and if you give them Grace and Allen, you need to come up with. Wow, it comes really close to working out. I'm not going to lie. They need like another, uh, just because neither team uh, is close to even over the tax. So the Jazz would need, the Jazz would honestly only need to send out. They fall about seventy five thousand dollars short of making this trade work with that package, straight up. Maybe that's like the hype man during timeouts. Maybe I mean it would. I, no, Indiana wouldn't have interest in Dante Exum. I'm saying if you threw Darren Collison or Corey Joseph in there to make it work. Uh, that could, but since they're looking to move one of them, uh, if you threw Darren Collison in there, though, things would get super complicated. Just because yeah. now, you, now you have to give up Rubio or Exum in that deal, or or Jay Crowder. So, but that, Tyreek Evans, I mentioned him as a free agency target for the Jazz last year. I just think I'm looking at what might help Donovan Mitchell's shooting and the half court offense. And while he is not, his, his slashes are not great this year. He's actually posting the lowest effective field goal percentage of his career. I think he's someone who could who could help the Jazz. Just if we're looking for lower end or, or shorter term solutions in Utah, he was he was so good for Memphis last season. Um, I, I tend to believe he can bounce back at some point. I mean, it's an interesting idea. I don't think I would give up Exum, especially with the way he's looked the last couple of weeks. Um, would you give up? Interesting idea. Yes, I would give up O'Neal. Really. <laughs> I'm so out on Royce O'Neal. Wow. I'm. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Indiana and you come with a package of Cephalosha, Allen, and O'Neal for Evans, and they could they could throw back another cheap player. Uh, I don't think TJ Leaf works, but I'm I'm doing it. If I'm Indiana, I would 100 percent do it. I don't know what the player is that you that you trade for them, but that's I wouldn't even if I'm Indiana, I wouldn't even think twice about that. Yeah, I think I would. I mean, when you when you rattle them off all together, it's like, oof, that's that's a big hit to the depth. But um, I mean, I you throw in Addy Bogu in there, and it's just like I probably butchered the pronunciation. I'm trying to read it phonetically. Yeah, that was pretty good, actually. You, it's I, I would do it if I'm in Indiana. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even think twice. And if the Jazz aren't going to think twice about it, I it would be it would be interesting to me. So right, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to another question before I get myself in trouble. Sorry, and that trade does not work because again the Jazz are falling so close to short. Now I'm gonna write about a trade like that. It's gonna happen, but we we can move on. <laughs> Kevin Green at Kevin G Poker. 
Do you think the Orlando Magic should trade Vucevic at the trade deadline or keep him? I think they should trade him. I think they probably should too. I, I, I wrote a quick answer. I said it depends on what they get, of course. Um, if he can get them a promising point guard, I think you probably have to take a swing at that. I, I don't think he's been really good this season. And that average player rankings thing right now, he's 12th in the NBA. <laughs> that is um, just nuts. Ridiculous, yeah. Do you think he's going to be a top 10 to 15 player over the life of whatever his next contract is? Um, that's a question Orlando's got to answer. I don't. I, I think the answer would probably be no. Um, and if his value is super high right now, which it should be, and you can land a, a legitimate you know, future piece uh, at point, I think that's something you definitely got to explore. Um, they have a lot of options for the future front court there. Um, Aaron Gordon has kind of plateaued over the last couple of years, but I think there's still plenty of potential with Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac. Um, now you need sort of the, uh, the name point guard to pair with them for the future. I don't know exactly who that would be. I know we toyed with the idea of Bucevic going to the Lakers a couple months ago. I'm not sure that's realistic anymore, especially if they're going to go get Anthony Davis here in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I think I think they definitely have to be thinking about it. They and uh, Aaron Gordon's been really good this year too, and I I like Jonathan Isaac. I mean, he could do a better job of tweeting, but I think he's going to be. I think he's already a really good defender, and if you can get him full time minutes at the four as opposed to split duty as this like wing fringe big, uh, he that would be best suited for him. You can't keep Vooch and Bamba if you're Orlando to me, and that just can't happen. And if you're going to re-sign Vooch, you know what? Fine. I think it's stupid. He's going into his age 29 season. What are you really fighting for with him? It's not a knock against him, but if he's going to be your best player and you don't have, or or your second best player, and you don't have that transcendent guy around him, you're going to be fighting for second round exits at, at most. And so if I'm them, I move him. And here's where it gets complicated. He should be an all-star this year, but just given the direction of the NBA, even though he's improved his defense a little bit this season, I don't think you can look to get, it's not just the expiring contract. I just don't think you could look to get too much in return. I just don't see that. And can they come to grips with doing that? They may not be able to. And if they think that they're not going to get one of these top three to five picks, um, and this draft is considered shallow outside of them, and even in the top three to five, there's been a lot of movement outside the Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett uh, prospect here. They might just think, hey, if we lose him in free agency, we lose him in free agency. We'd rather go and try and get a playoff berth for the first time since um, Dwight Howard left. And I guess that's fine. I would rather move him than not. I And I'm, I fall, this is the same, I know this isn't one of the question, but you can ask the same thing about Terrence Ross, right? It says that they don't want uh, to move him. They'd rather move Jonathan Simmons, which again, I get, but he's going to turn 28 in February. If you're going to give him a three or four year deal, it probably won't cost too much, but how much value does he have there when you're not ready to do more than maybe compete for this seven or eight spot in the Eastern conference. And they're not even guaranteed that much. I think we need to say yeah. uh, they're currently out of the playoffs right now. They're behind the Brooklyn Nets, So I would move him. And I sent you this last night. This would be my trade or the trade that I propose. Um, this is coming off the rumor from Mark Stein of the New York times and ESPN.com's Tim McMahon that the Mavericks have gauged the uh, value of 
uh, wow, I don't know why I'm stuttering my words, have gained the value of Dennis Smith Jr. Would you do Dennis Smith Jr. and Harrison Barnes for Terrence Ross and Vooch? And my thinking there is, if I'm Orlando, I can I can pay the last year Barnes a salary, assuming he picks up his player option. They're not going to have they can get cap space this summer. It's not going to be a ton. Orlando isn't the, the best free agency destination, or at least not right now, anyway. And you're getting Dennis Smith Jr., who is still he's still I mean he's a top he's a top eight prospect or top nine, whatever it was. So you're, you're getting him, and these are two guys and Ross and Vooch. You're not you're not paying both of them this summer, and if you do, you've you've changed yourself to a glass ceiling, which I wouldn't wouldn't support. And just for the Mavericks, really quickly, if you get Vooch, you can start buyout talks with DeAndre Jordan, uh, defensive stat padding because that that's a thing and has not been been good for them. And those are two guys that if you really want to, I think they help you in your playoff push this season. But those are two guys you can also keep around if you're looking to win immediately with Luka Doncic. And finally, if you let them walk, you're going to have room for two max slots. And all of a sudden, I know the people pegged the Clippers as the team that are most likely to land two superstars. They have to shed salary for that to happen, so the Mavericks wouldn't even need to do that in that situation. And if you're a star and you're coming in to play with Luka Doncic, uh, that's a pretty good sales pitch, in my opinion. I like that. <laughs> wow, there's my voice. Um, it's back. <laughs> <laughs> I like that trade a lot, actually. Um and I, if it came to it um, and they didn't get any free agents, I, I would probably rather pay Vucevic's next contract than DeAndre Jordan's. Um, and he and he and Luca, I mean, that that's a lineup that could give up a lot of points, but they could also score a ton. Um, having those two on the floor together. Vucevic has really grown as a passer this season too. Um, so seeing them together is super interesting to me. And Dennis Smith, that combination isn't working uh, with Luca, and I actually have a question that we'll, we can talk about that more later. Um, but I'm still not out on him either. Um, I'm not super high on him. I'm inefficient point guards who are also small is not a great recipe to me. But I'm not I'm not ready to give up on him yet. Um, and I think I think Orlando could be an interesting situation for him. I like that trade. What's our next question? Nicholas at real Nikki V Derek Rose, real deal or small sample. What is the, I mean, is he, can he be one of the best players on a 13 seed? Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's a better response than what I had. Um, I think what he's doing right now is, is real. He's a lot better than he's been over the last four or five years. Averaging 19 points, almost five assists, one and a half threes, which is crazy, shooting 45.5%. I think we can probably ditch the small sample argument. Um, we're almost, like, believe it or not, we're closing in on the halfway point of this season. Now, he could go through a long shooting slump that'll return his numbers to closer to what we've seen in the last few years. Um, but I, I think more or less, this is what he is now. Um, the other thing with him is Minnesota's plus 1.9 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor, minus 2.5 with him off. Um, I think probably be a pretty good fallback answer is what you said, though. Um, I, don't, I don't really know if he raises the ceiling of a good team all that much. Um, 
I, I don't remember how you put it, but I think that was <laughs> that was a fair characteriz- characterization. Can he be a solid player for a not so solid team? Um, maybe maybe that's just where he is. I know, maybe we'll get to see him in a better situation next year. I'm not writing it off completely. He's having a good season. I'm not a Derrick Rose fan. That's I'm, there are people who have used this season as an "I told you so" to me, and if they want to die on that hill where he's going to be uh, the best, the second best scorer on a team that's not going to make the playoffs and is going to be the 11, 12, 13 team in the West. That's fine. It's I'm not even trying to hate on him. Let's see him on a better team and see if he can do this. Maybe he can lead some interesting bench units. Uh, it's you know good for him that he's playing this well. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, if he's going to shoot this well from three for the rest of his career, then yes, I obviously think that he's going to be able to make uh, a nice impact uh, for for a good team, whether that's in Minnesota or elsewhere. Uh, he's shooting sixty two point four percent around the rim, which is the second highest mark of his career. Uh, a watermark that he set, by the way, last season in Minnesota. Um, and so it's, I mean, it, he's playing well. I just don't know, does his brand of basketball translate to wins? If he's your second best player, to me, the answer is no. There's just too much of a liability at the defensive end with him. Yeah. If he's coming off the bench, you have a great starting lineup, and he's going to be your your fourth or fifth best player and still able to play like this and be able to be an off-ball threat where he doesn't need to be on the ball as much, then, yeah, he, he can help your team. I don't think that that's too hot takey. It's, no, it's not. Yeah, so that's just that's where I'm at with, with Derrick Rose. Alec Sturm, at Alec underscore Sturm. Can we get some Nets stats? <laughs> um, Joe Harris used- is first in MVP <laughs> voting. I use this as a jumping-off point for uh, Dinwiddie. His last nine games. Uh, 25.2 points, 6.4 assists, 2.7 rebounds, 2.7 threes, 49.6 from the field, 41.4% for three, and an average of plus two per game. He's been ridiculous. You and I were texting about Joe Harris last night, too. He had an, it was like a 96 effective field goal percentage in a game in which he scored 27 points. Um, that was obviously ridiculous. Uh, I, I'm, the Nets are really enjoyable. Uh, here in the last few weeks. I think the Russell Dinwiddie thing still needs some time to really be figured out, although it's been better lately than it was last year or the, or, or it was for much of this opening part of the season. Rodian's Karuks has been, or Karuks, now I'm going jacking up pronunciations, um, has been really good this season. I, I think um, he's a potential future piece for them. I think Jared Allen's good. Uh, they they've got a lot of interesting pieces there. They're they're an enjoyable up and comer for me. They're so fun to watch. And the thing I'll say about D'Angelo Russell is that he's been on the the bench at times in close games. Most recently, the night before we're recording this on Wednesday night, that wild game with them and the Hornets. He's still off the bench, excited for his teammates. I respect that. That dude's in a contract year. He doesn't know what he's going to get from them, or whether he's even going to get anything from them. Some people consider him a trade candidate leading into the deadline, and he's played some good basketball of late. You really have to to give him credit. Um, I'm mad that you took a Spencer Dinwiddie stat because I have a Spencer Dinwiddie stat. <laughs> There's uh, no – you need more Spencer Dinwiddie stats. There's, you can't have too many. Um, everyone with his usage level, there are only four other players who are averaging or averaging more than 20 points and six assists per 36 minutes with a true shooting percentage north of 60. Are you ready for who they are? Let's do it. James Harden, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Wow. 
That's some that's, crazy company. If yeah. you want to remove the usage factor, Jeremy Lin's also a member of that group. Good for him. Another guy who should be a trade target for Utah, in my opinion, but I digress. He's just having a hell of a season. And I've caught shit for saying this in the past. Long term, I would still rather have Spencer, Spencer Dimwitty than D'Angelo Russell. I think people... I think I would too. I think people are of the mind that D'Angelo Russell has a higher ceiling just because his from scratch shot creation. Spencer Dinwiddie can hit pull up threes too. Sometimes they're ill advised, but he has he has a nice change of pace game in the half court to me. Uh, his vision is at least comparable to D'Angelo Russell's. I, I and I think he's easier to just fit in. He's more of a plug and play guy, and I value fit a lot in today's NBA. If you're I, if you had to say who's more likely to make an all-star game in their career, maybe I would pick D'Angelo Russell, but probably only because he's younger. And I'm not even convinced I can say that because if I was to pick all-star teams right now, Spencer Dimwitty is going to be among my Eastern Conference snubs, if not wild card considerations. I don't know if coaches feel the same way, but this is a hell of a season he's having. And like you said, the Nets are fun. The Joe Harris contract now of looks like a steal. And not that it yeah. looked like an overpay to begin with, but two years, $16 million, it was like, oh, that's market value. And they, they got to keep him. But he's just he's just such a smart player. And it seems like he adds a little bit to his game every year. It was uh, He starts off with the shooting, and then last year he gets into more of this just pump-and-drive game. And now he has this nice drop-off game. They can, they can move him around defensively, not the best defender, but you can still move him around to, to some of the bigger guys on the court as they do. Uh, I wish Karis LeVert was healthy to see how this this team yeah. was performing because they just have a lot of nice pieces, and uh, it, it wouldn't shock me if they made the East, Eastern Conference playoffs at this point. D'Angelo Russell <clears throat> is shooting about 1% better on pull-ups than Dinwiddie, but Dinwiddie's effective field goal percentage is about – five and a half percent better than Russell's. Um, and it's because he uh, hits his pull-up threes at a better rate um, than Russell. So they, they they can both hit a pull-up shot. Dinwiddie's been a little bit more effective um, at that as a three-point shooter. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Kuroks is just well, honestly what a find by them. I just... Yeah, it's awesome. There's his... If you play around... Uh, with his per 36 minutes splits, he's averaging over 17 points, seven rebounds per 36 minutes, and his true shooting percentage is north of 60. Can you name the last rookie to do that? Um, Not this season, because I'm, I'm also um, just going to say spoiler alerts that DeAndre Ayton is also doing it. I have no idea. You don't even want to like hazard a guess. Larry Bird. It's Boban. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, wow, yeah, that's amazing. I don't – did you see when I tweeted out a couple weeks ago, um, put together your best world all-stars for like a shot at Team America? I did not see that. Um. I still think America is like the clear favorite in that game, America versus the world, but it's getting closer. I'm just thinking about that because in this podcast we've talked about Jokic, Kuruks, Doncic, um, Vucevic. They're a little bit heavy on big guys, Team World. I mean, they they need some help on the wings. Um, Maybe in a year or two, Kuruks will be better suited for that. 
Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been good this year. Um, obviously, I think t- t- Team America is still uh, – <laughs> they're going to be tough to beat, of course, but it's getting – the world is closing the gap. It's really interesting to see. Gallo has been really good this year. Yeah. Um, I wish I could remember what my lineup was. I think I just did pick your, like, five to beat the America starting five, which would be, like, Curry, Harden, Durant, LeBron, and Davis, I think is what I picked. Um, it's an interesting question. Uh, Justin Cavey at Cavey Justin, what do you see the Mavs doing at the deadline, standing pat or being buyers? I I honestly don't know. I I would guess they're more likely to stand pat just because I, I think they value their cap space as they should. And they have a ton of expiring. So unless you're going to get a cheap, good asset for Dennis Smith Jr., if you're actually looking to move him, or unless you can get rid of Harrison Barnes' money, I don't think they want to get rid of Dwight Powell's money at this point, his $10.3 million player option for next season. It's it's hard for them to buy, or unless they can use any of their current expiring contracts to parlay into a better expiring contract or something. Uh, this team is kind of light on wings, but I don't know that they're going to want to eat into their their cap space in any way for for this summer while i just did come up with a deal that could get them cap space while i think improving the overall makeup of their roster that's me suggesting something that the magic might vomit at and those deals are just super tough to find i'm gonna say that they should be buyers um and i think i think trading dsj is a very real possibility there's already some smoke on that as evidenced by the mark stein reports of i don't know about a week ago now um, and the numbers, the splits with Luca and DSJ are super interesting. I think I've probably talked about them on the pod before, but at this point, when Luca and Dennis Smith are both on the floor, Dallas is minus 4.9, uh, which is the 27th percentile. When DSJ is on the floor without Luca, they're minus 4.6, 28th percentile. And then when Luca is on the floor without DSJ, they're plus six and a half, which is the 84th percentile. Um, and they score 117.1 points per 100 possessions when Luka is on and Dennis Smith is off, which is in the 95th percentile. Um, last night, I'm pretty sure they started a lineup with that was um, tr- truly had Luka Doncic at the one. And I think that's something that they need to do going forward. I mean, he finished the game with 10 assists. Um, they are better when the ball is completely in in Luca's control as opposed to Dennis Smith or Wes Matthews or Harrison Barnes or whoever else hijacks possessions on that team it should be it should be completely Luca's team and I again that magic trade that you came up with is really interesting because it gets a couple guys who are using too many possessions out of there um Harrison Barnes has been really good as a three-point shooter this year but sometimes when you watch the Mavs some of his drives are just insane and he has one of the lowest assist percentages in the league out of drive. So he is very averse to passing right now. And I, I just think the more you can tailor this team to fit Luca, the better. Do you think – to me, this might be the more pertinent question because he would probably define whether they're buyers or Stan Pat. They're not going to be – I guess they could still technically be sellers because as, as we're recording this, they're 12th in the West – they're two games out of the playoff picture. They have a top five protected pick 
to Atlanta. I guess it would be hard to out-tank some of these teams in the East when you look at the Cavs, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Hawks. And so you would have to... You would have to guarantee, and then you have the Suns in the West, so you're probably looking at best a ceiling of being the sixth worst team in the NBA. And with your pick owed to Atlanta, maybe you wanted to convey convey this season as opposed to next season. Who knows? But let's assume they're going to be buyers uh, or Stan Pat. This is the question that is going to dictate that to me. Do you think Dennis Smith Jr. finishes the season in Dallas? Um. My my default to questions like this is almost always yes, just because I I tend to think trades are a little bit harder to pull off than than fans sometimes realize. I'm going to go ahead and say no. Um, Ooh, I think they move him. I think Dallas has a fairly aggressive front office, and I think the writing is on the wall um, at this point. If they can get decent value for him, I think they move him. Oh, are you ready for the Harrison Barnes stat that I looked up per your comment about his drives? Yeah, let's hear it. 114 players are averaging at least five drives per game. Harrison okay. Barnes, Harrison Barnes' pass percentage is 12.2. That ranks 113th. Perfect. Of 114 oh. players. Can you name the player? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three players. Um, and tell me which one has the has the lower one, the worst mark in the league of this group. Brandon Ingram, Josh Jackson, TJ Warren. I'm going to say TJ Warren. All right, that was a good pick. Was that too obvious? I, I think I looked this up before. I didn't like, want to put – the other name that was there who was just in front of Ingram was Kevin Durant. I didn't want to use that because I felt like that was you, a – What's the difference between TJ Warren and Harrison Barnes' field goal percentage on drives? Harrison Barnes on drives is shooting 41.5%. My gosh. TJ Warren is shooting 48.9%. Wow. I mean, if we want to get in, he's outside the, he's outside, Harrison Barnes is outside the, almost outside the top 100 in field goal percentage on drives among that group. Where is he on total drives per game? Um, He is outside, he's at 100th exactly. Co-tie with it. So he's he ranks 100th in drives per game in the NBA. And there's – so to me, that's not too much of a problem because that other other guys have the ball on this team. And his best yeah. role probably is that as a, as a spot-up shooter. But you're right. It, when he is attacking, he's never been a passing threat. Um, not particularly great at getting to the line. And a lot of Mavericks people use the case early on that it was, well, he needs a better point guard around him uh, f- for that to happen. Like, that's why the offensive splits are so weird. And now he has, then it was, well, Dennis Smith Jr. dominates the ball, but now it's Luka Doncic, and it's just, we're running out of excuses. That contract was bad. The summer of 2016 was was absurd. Harrison Barnes, that's good that he's shooting great from three-point range. He's still better off, it looks like, in the role that the Warriors had him in before he left. Yeah, yeah he should just be a catch-and-shoot guy, um, and, and one who's <laughs> more willing to pass if he's not open. Um, all right, another trade question. Uh, this is from Colin Dildine, at CC Dildine. Do you think Anthony Davis will be on the Pelicans by the end of the year? Yes. I, he. I'm gonna, I'll let you run with this one because I feel like I've talked about Anthony Davis ad nauseum. Unless he goes to the Pelicans and says, I want out now, they have zero incentive to moving him. Yeah. I also said yes. Um, similar... To what you said, I think it'll be a little bit closer. 
to the end of his contract if and when they do trade him. Um, <laughs> last night I tweeted that the Pelicans are 15 and 20, dot, 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 and Lakers fans were on that thing um, <laughs> quickly and, uh, and uh, thoroughly. They are ready for Anthony Davis on the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I don't think it happens this year. I don't even know what the package would be to get Anthony Davis. Like, what's what's their salary matching players? I guess KCP. He's expiring, right? Yeah, they have. A, I mean, they have Rondo's expiring, Stevenson's expiring. The, it would be a matter of how many first round picks are you giving up, and then yeah. how many of those four core prospects are you giving up between Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Kuzma, and Hart. And I don't know what the word would be here, but I would not want to give up both Kuzma and Hart in that trade. I'd rather give up. Ingram, Lonzo, and then one of them or something. I don't like, I don't, I'm just, I, one of them needs to be on the Lakers still, Kuzma or Josh Hart. They've been too good of fits alongside LeBron James. And I've, with the way Kuzma's adjusted his offense uh, this year, I think has been great for the Lakers. And then Josh Hart is just fantastic. Now, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm, of course, and if it, it's a difference between getting Anthony Davis, you can't draw a hard line in the sand. I'm just saying, if they give up both those guys who are making basically no money, over the next couple of seasons, uh, plus Brandon Ingram, plus first round picks and stuff, uh, and salary filler this season, it's going to become hard for them to. Th- the order of events that they want to happen is they would probably themselves prefer to trade for Anthony Davis over the summer after free agency. I know that the Celtics can't trade for Anthony Davis now unless they're giving up Kyrie Irving, and that would theoretically help the Lakers' chances of getting him. But you want to have an easier path to getting cap space, and they would be able to have cap space but it's going to be harder to land a superstar without them accepting a pay cut. If you have Davis's salary and LeBron's salary on the books, you would almost, you can't have Lonzo ball or Brandon Ingram still on the books and then have that happen. All right. You want to do a couple quick hitters before we go? Yeah, let's roll. And I, I mean like literally two. Um, that is the Joe definition Ingles. of a couple, right? <laughs> Joe Ingles is better than MJ with a spider web emoji um, at take note underscore. Do you think the jazz will make the playoffs this year? Yeah, I just don't. I I don't. I'm not. I'm not that I'm not worried about them. I thought they could be in the conversation for the number two seed in the West. And as crazy as it sounds, really five and a half games out of that, out of that conversation. I just I look at them and like I did with the Rockets a few weeks ago. I, I think they're going to get it together. Yeah, um, they have by far the highest strength of schedule so far this season, and they have by far the easiest remaining strength of schedule in the West. Um, right now, 538 has them a 91% chance to get in the playoffs. And basketball reference has them at an 88% or not 88, 78% chance um, to get in the playoffs. They're actually kicking into gear a little bit earlier than I thought they would. Um, I don't think the schedule has totally turned yet, um, but they can, I think they'll stack up a decent amount of wins in the second half of the season and, and be okay. And here's the other thing. So they've played 21 road games to 14 home games. That's going to help them over the next part of the season. And they haven't even been, by their standards, that great at home. 7-7 seven and seven plus one net rating. That's 16th in the league. So you have to think that that will come up. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're in agreement there. Okay, last one. How good has Eric Bledsoe been for the Bucks this year? when compared to other East point guards. Um, that's from a man is no one at T man K Y. He's been good this year. His defense has been 
fantastic for them. Uh, just I, this might be the most consistently I've ever seen him defend on a game to game basis. He is seventh in the entire league in ESPN's a real plus minus among point guards. Um, yeah. He is ninth in RPM wins. If you since that's probably just a better ranking stat. Uh, he is when you look at the defensive real plus minus of point guards. He's he's still in the, around the top twelve for there. He's he's just been uh, fantastic this year, and I think over maybe this month, I think he's clearly been the Milwaukee's second best player. Just when you look at how Middleton has struggled at the offensive end, I agree. If you if you do the top five point guards in the East by that average rankings thing that I do, Kyrie Irving is first. And he's eighth overall. Kyle Lowry is second. He's 15th overall. Eric Bledsoe is third. And he's 17th overall. So top, he's, he's by that measure been a top 20 player in the NBA um, this season. Ben Simmons is fourth. And he's 21st overall. And Kimba Walker is fifth, 24th overall. Um, Bledsoe's been amazing. I think at this point it's a runaway for Coach Bud for Coach of the Year, right? Yeah. Who else is in that conversation? I mean, he has Malone's got to be there. That's, Doc Rivers yeah, that's has to be there. Nate McMillan. The there. transformation from the Jason Kidd, Joe Prunty Bucks to this team, what he's done for the team generally, what he's done individually for Bledsoe, uh, Brooke Lopez, even Giannis. Um, it's pretty incredible how much better they are this season. Yeah, I, the changes to the shot profile and just the way they defend. Uh, yeah, it's just it's night and day, and it's almost like a Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr jump. Well, that's what they were hoping for, right? Yeah, I think so. And uh, the, the Eric Bledsoe stuff—it's—I want to see a season where he's defending consistently, game to game, and shooting a league average clip from three. Those are those are always been like my two things with him. And this season, he was shooting uh, over thirty-five percent for a while. He's dipped below there now. He. He needs to. I don't. I guess I shouldn't say needs, but he should be shooting a, a better percentage on catch and shoot threes. He's at twenty eight point eight percent on spot up threes for the season. Yeah, that could be better. But I mean, I think if you're as good as he is at getting to the rim, um, the overall percentage of thirty four point two is that that's something you can get by on. I mean, obviously we'd be better if he was a couple more points up. But um, yeah, his December uh, in December sixteen point six points. 4.4 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 1.3 steals, shooting 49.7% from the field, 32.1% from three. He's just he's he's been really good for the season. His free agency case is going to be fascinating, just because I don't know how much you pay him. He's, he'll be in his age 30 season next year. Um, I forget what his cap hold is. It's over 20 million dollars, I believe. I think it was his was 21 million dollars, or or maybe that was. Chris Middleton's. I'm. I have it um, on my spreadsheet here right now. His cap hold is twenty two point five million. So it's actually a little bit higher than Chris Middleton's. I don't. Would you pay him that? His cap hold in free agency. I don't think I would. But his. I think it's gonna. The market will be, will be interesting um, for him. And again, he he has been really good. And like you said, when he's when you're as good at finishing at the rim as he is, uh, you you can afford to have a not so shiny three point clip. And he's shooting almost seventy six percent. Jeez. At the rim, which is by far and away a career high just, for him. I just sorted that same column right when you said that. Last thing I'll say about Bledsoe, career high in box plus minus, winters per 48, true shooting percentage, and as you said, that field goal percentage in zero to three feet range. Um, he's been really good. 
I, I would not have guessed that we would finish a podcast talking about Eric Blitzo, but that's where we are. Um, <laughs> as always, we invite you to uh, not only listen to the pod, but share it with your friends, review it, uh, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, uh, whatever it may be. Um, we sincerely appreciate all of our listeners and all of those of you who uh, interact with us on Twitter. It's, it's always fun. Um, at this time of year, we love to wish you a happy holidays as well. Sorry we missed you last week, um, but these things happen at Christmas time. And so until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.